Denver Sports presents the Mile High Baseball Podcast. Here's Jake Shapiro of denversports.com. Hey, welcome back. It's the Mile High Baseball Podcast. I'm Jake Shapiro. 7-2 Rockies win, but you're talking to me at a very, very sad time in my life, a devastating time in my life. Because today is the day I lose my blue check mark on Twitter. Oh, it's so sad. It, it's happening in the next couple hours. Uh, I'm actually kidding. I don't really care. Uh, but it is But it is funny because I once wanted it very badly. And now that I have it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. Welcome in. Mile High Baseball Podcast. Start of the season. Good note. Uh, 7-2 win over the San Diego Padres. And you always love to make the team who won the offseason five innings, six innings into their season start to boo their own team. That was fun. That was fun to watch. Um, And there's some, like, good things going on low-key in that game about, like, the way the Rockies could play this year. That makes me think that I was a little too low on my win prediction for them, which was uh, 64 and 98 time for the worst season the club has ever had. And I thought the opening day roster was a little interesting as well. We'll talk about all those things. And I'm going to start with the big thing I noticed from the game is the resilience. Like it's something that, matters more in other sports because it is a team and you can fight whereas baseball's you know as we know just a bunch of random outcomes with some skill attached obviously i would go zero for 500 at the plate if i had 500 bats in a year um but there's a lot of luck involved right and you see it even on you know chris bryant being a half a quarter of a step late on that play at the plate because they had an absolutely perfect relay or the Rockies getting runners on because the second baseman for the Padres who never makes an error makes an error. But nonetheless, the Rockies never got their heads down and battled back from a two, one road game on the West coast, which never seems to happen deeper into the season. So for them to start like that, I thought was great for CJ Crone to start his season again in such a good place is such a positive sign. And I thought if you dive into obviously two home runs and another hit is fantastic, but if you dive into it, it's actually a little more impressive because it wasn't like he was just hitting all fastballs or curveballs or changeups. I think on all three pitch or all three hits he had, they were different pitches. I know he hit a fastball and an off speed pitch out of the park, which means his timing is just impeccable right now, as is Montero who finished spring so hot, comes into the season, hits a home run. And everyone's going to talk about Tovar, and rightfully so, because Tovar is going to be a great player, and we're all excited for his rookie season. But you have to think of, you know, Montero, even if he was, you know, a half year earlier, kind of like in that Tulo Cargo thing, right? Like Cargo came a little bit later than Tulo, but those two are inseparable. Uh, I think we're going to get that with Zach Veen coming about a half year later than Tovar as well. It's going to be Montero, Tovar, and Veen. Those are going to be the the triumvirate we think about with the Rockies. So those are, you know, those are the guys. And it was good to see Montero start the season well. CJ Crone obviously is going to be a candidate to get flipped at the deadline. But for now, a contributor to the Rockies and a good one. And I mentioned Montero. I mentioned Crone. And I mentioned Tovar. I'm talking about them very positively. 
So why don't I just talk about the fourth infielder as well, Ryan McMahon. I think Ryan McMahon has a good chance to be the best player on the Rockies this year. I think he's been a very solid contributor for his entire career. He was a gold glove finalist at third base last year, moves over to second base where the Rockies won a gold glove last year because of Brendan Rodgers. And if you factor Brendan Rodgers into this mix and maybe they get him later in the season, the Rockies have a legitimately good infield. That's the funny part about all this. Like you go back to what 2016 and that infield was Justin Morneau, Nolan Arenado, Troy Tulowitzki, DJ LeMahieu, and they couldn't win. They couldn't win 75 games. I think they won 73 or something like that. Um, they're back in this place where they have an incredible infield, like not incredible, not to that level. Cause those are just all all-star batting title guys, gold lovers. Those guys are phenomenal. Um, so the Rockies aren't there, but they've got a really good infield. And it's going to be up to that infield to carry their lineup. Uh, you know, they still haven't gotten pro far. Uh, he didn't play in that first game. He's, he was dealing with some uh, issues with his green cards and stuff. I, I don't really know how all that works, but he was dealing with some of those issues. So they didn't have him for game one. He's still working on some stuff in Arizona, which, by the way, that's where I am. That's why there's no studio behind me. I'm in Arizona for the Nuggets. I was just missed the Rockies. So bad timing for this podcast. I'm being in Arizona because if it was last week, I would have been here for spring training. But I'm here nonetheless. Good Nuggets Suns game coming tonight. So with this Rockies infield, it's going to be up to them to propel this team. The outfield's solid. Like the outfield's not terrible, but they just don't have that star power at the top of their roster. They don't have guys like Manny Machado or Xander Bogarts or, you know, Juan Soto. They don't have this, you know, one guy that can carry them. Um, and the Rockies have had so often one guy and not the supporting cast. They have not the worst supporting cast. They've got some decent players. It's when we start to get into the depth and then you go over to the pitching that you start to see the struggles. But for one night in San Diego, pitching was good. Herman Marquez always impresses me. And, Whenever these Rockies pitchers, Tyler Anderson and John Gray used to do this as well, get down to lower altitudes, specifically San Diego with the heavy air, you start to see some of their breaking stuff just really explode. And it's really impressive. And I've always loved the way Herman Marquez has pitched, particularly in San Diego and San Francisco. Uh, I think Herman Marquez is typically underrated and he gets screwed because of the course field stuff and all that. But I've always loved Herman Marquez's stuff. And this is a really big year for him uh, before the team can exercise an option on next year. The Rockies can do a whole bunch of things with Marquez in terms of player movement, decide if they want to continue to build around him. Um, And I wonder if Marquez is one of those guys, you know, I, I think of pitchers in major league baseball as two types of categories. One, these guys with unbelievable stuff, uh, like Tim Lincecum, who who are good from like age 21 to 28. And then there's guys like Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, these Hall of Fame level guys who can figure it out into the back half of their careers when their stuff starts to go away and they can still win Cy Youngs at 33, 34, even up to 38. Now, I'm not saying Herman Marquez is the caliber of Tim Lincecum or Max Scherzer. Those were just the best examples for those types of pitchers. But there's guys like, you know, an Andrew Heaney or a Cliff Lee who later on in their careers reinvent themselves as a pitcher and are still extremely valuable to a team and can even make an all-star 
game like Herman Marquez has earlier on in his career. So you look at Herman Marquez and I wonder if he can be the type of guy who can rely on his command, his, you know, smarts in becoming a different type of pitcher in the second half of his career, because the first half of his career has been great. He's been one of the better pitchers the Rockies have ever had. And there's part of me that wants to keep Herman around because he's been around for some of these good times. And I think that, you know, the next time those good times come around, Herman could be one of those dudes, but one of the bad things from this game, because we're running through the pitching and where the Rockies are right now is the situation with Daniel Bard. Daniel Bard won nationally comeback player of the year, a couple years back. And Bard is one of the best stories in baseball. Uh, he was a touted prospect for the Red Sox, had an amazing year for them, and then developed the Yips. And he wants people to talk about it. We should be talking about it because it's a mental block that goes on in your brain where you struggle to, in this case, throw the ball. In golf, you struggle to hit the ball. But in this case, you struggle to throw the ball. Chuck Nowblock with the Yankees famously ended up losing his career in Major League Baseball because he couldn't throw to first base. Rick Ankiel had this as well. That's why he had to move from pitcher to outfield. But Bard struggled to find his command. He couldn't throw it to the plate like he did at one point. And he was out of Major League Baseball. He was going to work with the Rockies as a pitching coach, not as a pitcher. But when he was, you know, demonstrating something to some guys, they realized that he could still pitch in Major League Baseball. And then Bard quickly caught on with the Rockies. And you know the story from there. So Bard goes... Unbelievable last year. Great season. Earns the contract extension. We probably should have traded him at the deadline is what all Rockies fans are thinking, and I agree. But you're in the situation where you've extended him, and, you know, it's an older closer, but he's still proven he can pitch well and at a high level. That's fine. So Bard enters this year as part of Team USA, and he earned it. One Point two innings, one and two-thirds innings in, in the World Baseball Classic. He allowed about 30% of the runs Team USA did in the entire tournament. In those inning and two-thirds of work, he broke Jose Altuve's hand, wrist, whatever it was. Jose Altuve's started the season on the injured list. And you wonder with both of those things, how that can affect a guy who has had some issues with his you know, mental health, and particularly when they come to command. And he sees one of the game's best players, despite what you think about Jose Altuve, he's still a really good player, Um, you know, start the season with a pretty devastating injury because of something he did. And you could see how that could affect somebody because obviously Daniel Bard was not trying to hurt a Jose Altuve. And he starts the season on the injured list with anxiety. And he was pretty open in talking about this to the Gazette. I encourage you to read Danielle's uh, quotes that she got from uh, Daniel Bard, I think in San Diego. And the Rockies are without their closer. And I commend Daniel Bard and the Rockies for coming out in front of this with, it is anxiety. We're not scared of it. We're going to, you know, work through this together. We're not going to work around it because that's the only way this is going to work for Daniel Bard. But you start to wonder, at what point can Bard get back? At first, you're obviously worried about him as a human and being all good and that stuff. But 
he's a very important piece of the Rockies and they just paid him a lot. And I know they want him and they're going to miss him. So hopefully this is just a few week thing and he just needs to take a little reset because it appears he is with the team still. And maybe this is fine. In the course of 162 games, if he misses 10 to 15 at the start of the year, no one's going to remember it. And hopefully it's that way. And it's, wow, good for you, Daniel. You got out in front of this. You worked through it. We're all back. We're good. But because of that, the Rockies don't have a closer. Last night, non-save situation, they closed out with Jake Bird, who replaced him on the roster. I think there's a chance that the closer could be Brad Hand or Justin Lawrence. Brad Hand, one of the best relievers in baseball, left-handed, just demigod at the time of his peak. He was unhittable. One of my favorite pitchers in baseball when he was at his peak about three, four years ago. Justin Lawrence reminds me a lot about Adam Adovino and has for his entire career. And the thing that's funny about that is when Lawrence is coming through the minors, we're hearing, oh, this guy can pop 104. This is one of those Chapman type guys, one of those just hard throwers. But that off-speed stuff is ridiculous. He was throwing wiffle balls last night. And part of that is that cross-body throwing that he does, similar to Adam Adovino, and that's why you know comes up the, the right-hander who throws wiffle balls cross-body, cross-firing. Uh, you know, Adovino had three different sliders at the peak of his career and was completely unhittable. Uh, I don't think Lawrence is there, but you see some stuff with Lawrence where you're like, this dude has the abilities to be a big league closer and a really good one at that. Carlos Estevez also had some of those abilities and obviously finished his career with the Rockies as a setup man, could never, I mean, he was closing his rookie year and then never could really get back there. So Lawrence had a really good World Baseball Classic with uh, Team Panama. And uh, you could see how it could be a really important part of the Rockies' bullpen moving forward. So I thought that was a good sign. I want to flip it over to the Padres really quick. Blake Snell is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He has been for five so years. He's phenomenal. He's won a Cy Young. There's a reason why he's won a Cy Young. So I thought it was pretty impressive that the Rockies, you know, got to him a little bit. I don't think they necessarily chased him because I think some of what happened yesterday with the Padres is one, the playing conditions were terrible because San Diego is not used to rain, but maybe California should start getting used to this at least early on in seasons, because it looks like climate change is going to affect these baseball games uh, pretty significantly. And by the way, that Padres ballpark plays differently like every year now because of the buildings that have gone up in San Diego behind Petco Field or Petco Park. Uh, It used to be like a really, really hard core pitchers park, like the worst one in Major League Baseball. And those buildings behind have changed some of the air currents. Uh, So you wonder if that turns all of a sudden into like a hitter's park where it's rainy all the time, which, by the way, the more humidity in the air, the further the ball travels. Most people think it's the opposite because the air feels heavier to breathe, but water droplets are a little less heavy than diametric nitrogen, which is in the air. So if it's ever really hot out and rainy at Coors Field, take the over. The last time I said that to somebody, Trevor Story hit three home runs, including the longest home run I've ever seen until Shohei Otani did that in the uh, home run derby. That was pretty wild. Uh So, yeah, I I thought it was a good start. I thought the Padres' defense was atrocious in this game, and the Rockies took advantage of it. Uh, It was funny to see Warren Schaefer out there instead of Stu Cole, our guy, waving in the tacos, different guy waving in the tacos. 
one of his first decisions to weigh Brown Bryant doesn't end up working out for Warren Schaefer, but you got 161 more. <laughs> um, yeah, and and like I said, the, the big things from this uh, opening roster, basically no no Profar, at least game one, he's on the roster, so that's good. No Bard. Uh, and then no real big surprises. The last big cut was uh, Toglia going down to minors because I think he's the 11th best prospect right now, according to MLB Pipeline. We'll see him at some point. Uh, but it's going to be a little bit because you already have the replacements up in the majors for uh, you know, Randall Gritchich, who started the year on the IL. So Toglia is probably what, like outfielder number six for the Rockies at this point. And uh, Charlie Blackman looked good. Charlie Blackman looked really good. And wouldn't it be fun if he had like one of those David Ortiz or Albert Pujols types years to, to, to send him off here. And if he does, by the way, he probably isn't retiring or, or leaving the Rockies, but it would be fun to see him just have a great year and, and, and throw it back. So Overall, and, and this will actually one one last thing I have here in my little notepad. I like this little notepad. Um, one last thing on my uh, notepad here is Denison Lamette back in San Diego, where he got Cy Young votes a couple years back. Works into a jam, two strikeouts and a ground out out of it. So day one of new look Rockies bullpen like nearly impeccable. I thought they were just really good. And that's a really good sign for this team because especially in the back parts of this rotation, Ryan Feltner's, Austin Gombers, you're going to be getting into the bullpen quite frequently. And even Kyle Freeland, who is the Rocky second starter, has a propensity to sometimes get knocked out early in games. He's one of those guys where it's like, he's either going to go four or seven, you know, it doesn't seem like Freeland's out just a you know five or six it's either he's having a great game or he's 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 struggling so you're gonna see the Rockies bullpen get a lot of work this year and I thought day one uh was good and obviously it's hard to complain with a 7-2 win on the road against the team that's projected to win your division and instead you start out in first place how long will the Rockies be in first place will it end tonight maybe um but we're looking forward to it and the next Mile High Baseball Podcast with Jake Shapiro. That's me. Um, Will be Friday at 1 o'clock, which means by the time you hear this, if you're one of those lucky people going to the game Thursday against Washington like me, the Rockies will have made their course Field debut by the time uh, you hear this next podcast. So we'll recap the first week of baseball uh, after game one including the Rockies home opener on the next mile high baseball podcast with Jake Shapiro. Uh, I will be in the clubhouse. I will be talking to people once the Rockies do return home. So hopefully I will have a lot more information by then. Hopefully the information I'm giving you is enough right now, but you know, I'll, I'll give you some more and maybe I can get a guest or two on that podcast. And maybe we'll hear from, you know, Charlie Blackman or one of the Rockies on opening day uh, because I will be around. And that was one of the things that made some of my old Rockies podcast so fun as we got to hear from so many different voices on their thoughts with the Rockies, but one and zero, starting the season one and zero on pace to go 162 and zero. a lot of people on pace to do a lot of things right now. Uh, we'll see if we get some major league baseball records this year. Cause Aaron judge on pace to hit 162 home runs. Can he break his record from a season ago? Probably not 162 home runs, but it would be fun. If he had 65 home runs. It would. I like seeing history. It'd be fun. If Charlie Blackman batted 300 for an entire season, 400, 
Let's see some baseball history. The new rules, by the way, on my way out, new rules looked good. Uh, I'm still not sold on the pitch clock. I'm going to come around. But the bases, the stolen bases in the first round of games yesterday, day one, that was fun to see. We're getting some action on the base paths and – you know, I'm five foot four. I love small ball. You know, that's, that's my kind of thing. My high baseball podcast, Jake Shapiro. We'll talk to you next week.